Hey, morning, everybody. My name's Jim. If you're new to Ascent, uh, it's your first time or maybe checks out another time here. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And uh, we're honored that you check out our church. And we always have new people here. Those of you who are inviters, uh, we want to say thank you to you for trusting us enough to invite somebody else to a church. That's like a scary thing. So uh, thank you for doing that. Um, I want to just, before we start, just say, you know what? I, we never want to be a church that's kind of going through the motions. So it, it just, ugh, the idea of waking up on a Sunday morning and like, oh, I have to go to church, have to go to church is just a gross term for me. And we never want that to be true. We always want, just so you know, we always want when you step inside the curtains here that there's a 70-minute experience where you are hearing from God, where you expect to walk into the room and, and God is going to meet you. And part of that comes with how we enter into the space. And so my, my just prayer today is, regardless of what's going on or, you know, man, I know there's a lot of stories in this room, right? I, I pray that uh, as you come into the space today, that there would be a real chance to meet a real God and expect that God might speak to us today, either through this few minutes here that we have together or when we get to sing to God uh, we pray that this is an electric 70 minutes for you and your faith. So let me pray for that. God, thank you that you're already here and that uh, you care about every person in this room and that you actually want to meet us and speak to us today. So I, I pray, God, that we would set aside those things that might vie for our attention today and that our ears would open and our hearts would open, that we would be open to listening to what you're going to say today. Uh, so we give that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, I want to start with what Bill is talking about that uh, I wasn't supposed to actually refer to ever. That's the game of golf, okay? Uh, Bill fancies himself as quite a golfer, um, but little does he know, I actually have a decent swing. So I, I, I played one year in high school, and uh, one year, <laughs> but and so this is kind of my level of swing. But I, I want to show you, like, I'm no, you know, I'm not like a tiger or anything, but there's, there's a little bit of smoothness to that. Isn't there? <laughs> Come on. Gosh. You're, you're more impressed than you thought when you saw me swing. Here, here's my problem with a golf swing. My problem with a golf swing is that um, it's always been too long. So... You're supposed to, a lot of you guys know this are good golfers, you're supposed to stop at parallel. Like when you bring the club back, you're supposed to stop here. The club is not supposed to go further than that at all. My problem is, is I've always just been the kind of guy that I go past parallel. And if you know what happens then, your body gets behind the club or in front of the club. And so the club face comes through and it opens up and shoo, you hit these little weak shots off to the right. And that's always been my problem. So uh, last year... Uh, there's this guy in our church who I'm like, hey, uh, let's meet out at the range. I'd heard he's a decent golfer. And so I'm like, you know, why don't we meet out at the range? And we're talking about stuff. And I'm sitting there kind of doing my swing, and he's checking me out. And he, uh, he says, yeah, you got a decent swing. I'm like, oh, thanks. Uh, and, but then he says, like, can I give you a little advice on that swing? I'm like, sure. He goes, why don't you try this? Grabs a golf ball. He says, don't hit this one. He says, what I want you to do is actually stand on it with this foot. So, so he gets me and he, and, and he puts the ball right underneath this foot on my, uh, on my back leg. 
And he says, now I want you to try to hit a ball. Here, this is just, you guys, this is free today for you, okay? <laughs> he, this is incredible. So he, he has me do this, and I put down some balls, and I, and I start swinging. It turns out that if you put a golf ball under that part of your foot, you can't go past parallel. You have to stop. You can't, you can't go anywhere. So I, I sit there, I put these balls down, and I start with this ball under my foot. I start hitting some shots. Like low, and then like gets that extra boost to that next level. Hits the ground, and like like backs up. And I'm like, PGA kind of stuff, you guys. And I hit one, and I'm like, all right, that was a fluke. I get, it, I get it back, I do it again. I'm telling you guys, I hit like 30 shots in a row, like the best shots I've ever hit in my life. And he just looks at me and goes, yep, you know? <laughs> Turns out, like, uh, you know, he says to me, you didn't know this, but I actually used to be the club head pro here. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, what, what was so funny about that is like, I got that free, you get that free today too, by the way. But we would pay money for that. Like, think about how much money we pay to have people tell us something that we are doing wrong. We will pay, I mean, gosh, my kid was playing baseball for years. The like multi-thousand dollar checks I would write to be a part of a team, to be, have that coach, that great coach, that whatever. The, the amount of money that we'd pay on music, on swimming, on baseball, the amount of money we pay when we, uh, you know, college tuition, so many things in our culture are bitter, built around, like, we will pay somebody great money to tell us what we're doing wrong. We'll pay if it means we can get better, but we'll only do it in certain areas of our lives. So we'll do it for athletics, we'll do it for music, we'll do it for whatever, uh, school. But, man, would we be open to hearing maybe where we're off in other areas of our life, and ironically, the areas of our life that matter way more than hitting a golf ball. Are we willing to hear from people when it hurts a little bit about who we are or about what we're actually building our life around? Are we up for hearing on that? So this series that we're talking about is called The Truth Hurts. And, and the idea is to look at some of the hardest things that Jesus said that Jesus actually said some things that you go, oh, man, that hurts. And instead of getting defensive, instead of, you know, because that's our default, right, is defensiveness or, nah, wait a second. Instead of doing that, we're inviting you these few weeks to enter into some of these things that Jesus said and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be open. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to let Jesus coach me into the kind of person and basing my life on the things that Jesus said were important. So I, I want to share today around a passage. First of all, I got to give, uh, there's a guy named Tim Keller who vastly, he's one of my heroes in the faith who just, he has influenced this talk today so much. If you ever want to read more about it, I encourage you, look at Tim Keller's stuff. He's just a phenomenal teacher and writer. Uh, but I want to look at a saying that Jesus had in Luke chapter 14 that at first glance, man, will smack you right in the jaw. We mentioned it last week during this, but can I, let me read it to you, okay? Luke 14, Jesus, Jesus, context, Jesus had people following him. 
He's been healing people. He's been teaching people. He actually has a crowd following him. And the, the verse right before the one I read you says, he turned to the crowd, this big crowd, and he says this. Look at the words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It's Luke 14, 26. Anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yeah, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Man, that's one you've got to sit with for a second, right? This is, uh, this is some coaching that's a little confusing. On first glance, too, you could look at this and be like, man, Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus preaching hate here? Doesn't that seem kind of contradictory to everything that he seemed like he was about? So let's not just run off here quickly into what this means until we actually soak on this for a second. Yikes, what is he talking about? Um, I want to dive into this because I think this passage really matters. You know, this is one of those passages, right, where it's the coaching that we got to hear. So, so. Before, you know, I don't know what your background is. Uh, you know, this is your first time ever to church. Hold, hold on. Hear these words of Jesus. We're going to unpack what it means. So I want to start just with this thought. I want to start by uh, asking you, have, when I say the word sin, what comes to mind for you? Like when, you when you hear sin, what do you think? For a lot of us, when we, when we hear the word sin, we start thinking about uh, the things that we do. So a sin could be uh, I'm, I lie to somebody, I am angry and I smack somebody, uh, I intentionally deceive. Um, there's uh, a dog that lives on my street that I want to kick. Um, this dog just thinks he owns our yard and chases our cars. And if Karen let me have a BB gun, it just wouldn't be pretty, right? So I just... this. <laughs> Like that, uh, that's what we think of when we think of sin. We think of the stuff that we do. Here's a question for you, though. Um, what if those were just the symptoms? What if those things I just talked about are the actual symptoms of something that's actually much deeper inside of every single one of us? What causes us to do those things? Hey, this is going to go to the heart of this passage. What, what is at the root of the things that, that play themselves out in the world that, that get ugly fast? So there was a guy uh, who really was the first to take on this passage that I read you in Luke 14. He, uh, he was the first one that we have a record of who actually started saying, I actually think what this passage is about is this. His name was Augustine. So you heard of him, St. Augustine. He was in the 300s. He's one of the early church leaders, brilliant guy, wrote a book called Confessions. In that book, Confessions, he actually took on this passage and he had a little saying that he uh, gave about what he thinks the original, what is, what is the origination of sin in our lives? Look at what he, I've never thought about this this way before until I read it this week. Look at what he said about sin. He says, the essence of sin is disordered love. Essence of sin is disordered love. The reason why we sin is when we get our love priority out of order. What does that mean? So 
Bill's usually the master of big props, but I'm going with big prop today. I want you, you ever been to a golf match? I'm going back to golf, Bill. If you've been to a golf match before, you watch it on TV or whatever, there's always a leaderboard. And you'll see the leaderboard when they go off to commercial, they come back from commercial, or if you've actually been to a golf tournament before, it's really cool. They have this huge board. And it's constantly the, the who's ahead in the tournament is always being changed. There can be co-leaders, right? Changes from hole to hole unless somebody's way ahead or something like that. A leaderboard, you've seen this. You know what I'm talking about. What, what Augustine is saying is, I think, every single person in this room, every single human heart has a leaderboard. You, you have something. You have something that is ahead in your heart that ha- is the thing that you most put your affection toward, that you most identify with, that is most important to you, that you will make your decisions most based on who is at the top of your leaderboard. Now, what Augustine is saying about Jesus' passage here is that when you get your leaderboard out of whack and the wrong thing heads to the top, that's when all hell breaks loose. You get your leaderboard wrong, that's the essence of sin. That's when things start to unravel in your life. Let me me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So I would say, as a uh, high school kid, years ago, my my first um, instance of my leaderboard getting out of whack and and, and feeling disappointment around this was, this this was my leaderboard, okay? I have always, (laughs) I have always, still to this day, this always vies to be the thing I put my identity in, achievement. Trying for success, man, as long as I feel like I'm getting an A, as long as I feel like I'm doing well at work, as long as I feel like I'm doing well, man, this is what makes me a competitive jerk sometimes. Because I will put achievement as the top thing on my leaderboard. High school, no different. That was me. Competitive person as you can find. And, And for me, mainly, it was mainly around sports. I remember thinking like, okay, this, this, I, you know, you're not thinking in high school or even as adults like, what's my leaderboard? Hopefully you will after today. But the truth is my leaderboard was, man, if we could win the high school baseball state championship, if, if I had a great girlfriend that made me look good, and my friends, I had like the group that I, you know, was the cool guy, man, if I could just have those three things everything would take care of itself. Uh, I went to Fairview, and my senior year of high school, it was the summer, we were playing Legion ball, and um, amazing. We're sitting at Scott Carpenter Park in Boulder. We're playing Greeley. We are one strike away from the state championship. My girlfriend's in the stands. Stands are flooded with people that are cheering like crazy. If you won this tournament, you got an all-expense-paid trip to Las Vegas. Why in God's name would anyone send a group of high school kids to Vegas? I don't know. But that was the deal. I'm sitting there at shortstop. We are one strike away from the state championship. My cousin is on the hill. He reaches back, throws a pitch, strikes out some poor guy from Greeley. I chuck my glove 
I start running to the mound. I was the first one there. I like dive on Mark, right? We just start this huge dog pile. By the way, every person in their life should be a part of a dog pile at some point. In fact, let's just do one right now, right here in the middle. It it was so amazing. I'm on the bottom of this dog pile. Here's the thing about dog piles too. If you're on the bottom of the dog pile, it's fun at first, okay? Then you get about 10,000 pounds on top of you and you're like, get off, get off, you know? So I'm at the bottom of this dog pile. There's people jumping on, gloves are flying, Gatorade's going. Even the coach is like jumping on the pile. It was the greatest thing in the world. I'm sitting there and I'm laughing and I will never forget the thought that came to my mind. Three words came to my mind. The three words after sitting at the bottom of the pile were, is that all? It's the weirdest thing. I, I will never forget sitting at Scott Carpenter Park on the pitcher's mound with all these guys on top of me, everybody's laughing, and I remember thinking, is that all? It was the first time for me that I realized, I'm not sure I have my leaderboard right. But what it did is it didn't make me think, uh, oh, okay, now I just need to put Jesus at the top of my leaderboard, I need to reevaluate my leaderboard. You know what it made me think? It made me think, I just have to win something bigger. You know, maybe it's just that high, who cares about high school baseball? Maybe I got to do something better than that. Maybe if I could just do this or just succeed at that, or, you know, if, 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 if I just could, this becomes the soul consuming thing in my heart. And I start to base everything on it. And my leaderboard gets completely disordered. Guys, this is what Augustine is saying. This is the essence of sin. When your leaderboard gets out of whack, Don't be surprised when your life gets out of whack right behind it. So this is one example. Uh, I had this, I used to live in the Silicon Valley, lived there for five years. Really interesting place, really interesting leaderboards there. If if I had to um, summarize a leaderboard in the Silicon Valley, I would say, you know what? Let's just be honest. Might look something like this. In the Silicon Valley, uh, lived there five years, I was a pastor at a church there. I observed people running so fast, 80, 100 plus hours a week. I'm working in a startup. We got to get this thing, this whatever thing, to the market before our competitors do. We've got to impress the people on Sand Hill Road enough that they will give us money. And man, if we aren't going, 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 we are going to lose it all. And so that's the culture, man. We run as fast as we can. No one would ever admit in the Silicon Valley that this is their leaderboard because that would make them look bad. Of course, the leaderboard should look like this, they might say. It's a totally non-religious place in a lot of ways. Nobody cares about spiritual things for the most part in the Silicon Valley. So, Jesus, sorry, we're going to take you off. This, this is the Silicon Valley. And it's so interesting. Um, many people in that valley would say, Gosh, spiritual things, A, who has time for it? B, isn't that an archaic thought? And they might look back at something that's um, spiritual and even kind of mock it. Here's an example. Um, You know, before the time of Jesus, there was so much stuff going on around all these funky religions that were happening, these kind of um, Greek or Roman gods, and people were worshiping things. And did you know that one of the practices that a lot of these religions had, this is, this is crazy, but they would actually sacrifice their children. As part of a way of appeasing gods, they would practice child sacrifice. 
Now, if you told somebody in the Silicon Valley about that, they would go, they, they would be obviously repulsed, as we would be, of course. They would be so repulsed by the idea of child sacrifice. I gotta be honest with you. My observation of living in the valley for a while, there was a whole lot of child sacrifice going on. Man, I'm telling you, watching kids in that area who never see their parents, who are often medicated by giving them the credit card. Hey, I can't spend time with you, but I'll give you the credit card. Do whatever the heck you want. And these kids grow up with kind of a shell of an identity of who they are. While I was in the Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, one of the places, guys, I'm telling you, is some of the brightest kids you will ever see in your life, these teenagers who are brilliant. Palo Alto was leading the nation in teen suicides to the point where there were parents groups that were forming, going out in the middle of the night and, and standing at intersections where the Caltrain was passing and guarding them so that teenagers wouldn't show up because they, they were throwing themselves in front of the Caltrain in the middle of the night. Man, this is what, hap- this is what Augustine is saying. You disorder your love and the harm to yourself and the harm to other people. This is the essence the very essence of sin. Look, I know you're saying, oh, well, Silicon Valley is like a thousand miles away, whatever. Is it that far off from Boulder and Louisville? Really? From who we are? Man. So when Jesus encourages us to look at our leaderboard, these are high stakes. This is not an academic exercise, man. Every single one of us in this room has something at the top of our leaderboard. And if we disorder this leaderboard, oof. What I think Jesus is saying is, look, you want a you leaderboard that looks right. You want to avoid spending your entire life asking the question, is that all? Put me at the top. Put me where I belong. I'm the only person that when you put at the top of your leaderboard, I will not break your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying to hate your mother. Come on. Jesus didn't hate his mother. He'd have been going against his own words. He didn't hate his family. Now, see, this is where when we translate things from Greek to English, we often lose out. I know I, I don't want to bore you all the time with Greek words. This one's important. The word for hate in Greek. Look at it. It's this word, meseo, and it means to renounce a choice in favor of another choice. Okay? It's a comparative word. Jesus saying, he's not saying don't hate your family. He's saying be really clear about who's got the top spot on the leaderboard. Otherwise, your heart's going to get broken. Otherwise, you're going to spend your life asking, is that all? So look at this, in the NLT, a New Living Translation, they pick this up when they translate it to English. Put it up there. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, father, mother, brother, children, uh, yes, even your own life. This is, what, this is the essence of what Jesus is saying. Get your leaderboard right. Who, who's at the top of the leaderboard for you? There was a guy, I read his story this week, broke my heart. Really interesting guy. Uh, his name's David Foster Wallace. Here's a picture of him. He's, um, man, he's got good hair. Um, and, and I'm not, when I say that, I'm not putting appearance at the top of my leaderboard, maybe just a little bit. 
He's an interesting guy. This guy, uh, Time Magazine said he wrote, an, uh, he wrote a book that Time Magazine named as one of their top 100 most influential books of the 20th century. Really creative guy. Not a Christian. Not really anything. But a really deep thinker. Fascinating how he kind of thinks through things. He gave a commencement speech in 2005 at some university and the words uh, are just fascinating to me. Let, me. let me show you some of the words, this guy. And, and as I read him, remember, not, not a Christian. Not, he's still trying to just figure out, right, what his story is. But here's what he said to these graduating seniors uh, in his speech. He said this. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. So, okay, stop there for a second. What he's saying is, worship isn't just when you show up in a room with curtains around it and people up here with guitars lead you in singing. He's saying worship is actually whatever's at the top of your leaderboard is what you're going to worship, what you're going to serve, what you're going to be all about, what your identity is. Okay? Everybody worships. There's no atheists. Everybody has something that they're serving. The only choice we get is what to worship. The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Wow. Let's, let's dial in on that statement. Man, that caught me. Look at this. Anything else you worship will eat you alive. Man, you want to put career at the top of your leaderboard? Just wait till you get laid off. It'll eat you alive. You want to put money at the top of your leaderboard? The stock market goes down. You want to put love at the top of your leaderboard? And he breaks up with you, she breaks up with you. It'll eat you alive. Look, look, he keeps going. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Now go out in the world and be a great city. I love that commencement speech, man. Can you just see the students like, gosh. But, But amazing insight from a guy that would say, I'm not a Christian, I don't know, you know. You know what broke my heart? Three years later, he took his life. I don't know what happened. It could have been chemical. It could have been depression. Who knows what his story was? I can't help but wonder, did something eat him alive? Did he put his hope into something that ultimately just, it wasn't going to work? And it took his life. It it ate him alive. Man, we got to know. We have got to know what's at the top of our leaderboard. I don't want to get eaten alive by something that will make me ask my entire life, is that all? Guys, what's at the top of your leaderboard? Who's at the top of your leaderboard? What are you serving? And and it's not just as simple to say like, oh, well, you know, Jesus at the top. No, it changes every day, every hour, every minute. I got my moments where Jesus is at the top. I got my moments where achievement's at the top. I got my moments where friends are at the top. It's a revolving leaderboard. But are we aware of it? Are we asking the question, do we know what is the competitor? 
What's your biggest competitor at the top of your leaderboard to Jesus? Who's, who's, who's vying to take that top spot? These things are not all bad, right? I actually don't think Jesus is saying, hate your career. No, we ought to actually love this. Man, some of you guys are amazing at making money. Your generosity blows it. That's not bad. Your family. Here's the trick. It's when we take something that's meant to be great and we make it the thing. When a great thing becomes the ultimate thing. That's what we got to know and watch out for. Do you know what's vying for the top spot in your leaderboard? Uh, Keller has a couple questions to help us with this that I think are interesting. And here's, here's what he argues, and I agree. He says, the trick is we don't know ourselves well enough to actually know how to ask the question, what's the competitor on the top of the leaderboard? We, we actually don't, um, you can't just ask what's, what's vying for the top spot. Here's a couple questions you could ask, though, instead. Ask yourself this, what, if you lost it, could make you lose your will to live? Is there something that if you took out of the equation, you go, I just don't know if I could go on. That's probably something that's vying for the top spot of your leaderboard. Or what, what do you get your greatest emotions about? What do you obsess over? What do you fantasize about? That could be the thing that is vying for the top spot on your leaderboard. And man, it is critical to identify what it is. Because again, we don't want to spend our lives saying, ah, if I could only. Because we will be saying, is that all? I think for some people, depending on what your family's like, right? This, this one's one that often ends up there, this love or love. And I just can't help but thank you guys today. Even, again, these great things. If I had Karen Candy, my wife, be the top thing on my leaderboard. A, way too much pressure for a human being to carry. But B, the truth is, you guys, someday I will be standing or she will be standing over my grave. If I make Karen Candy my savior, I put it all into her, she's my hope, she's my dream, she's whatever, I'm going to stand someday over a coffin with my Savior in it. No. No. I could end up serving that for the rest of my life. No. She, that's not, I don't want to stand over the grave of my Savior. There is one Savior who will not die. There is one Savior who will not see the grave. There is one Savior who will not betray you, who will not put you on a hamster wheel forever. There is one Savior, guys, that will make you not ask the question, is that all? Is that all? There's one Savior who will not eat you alive. When I read that passage, man, that is not harsh. That's grace. You see those words of Jesus, hate your father and mother. He's saying, get your leaderboard right. Because otherwise, I think life will eat you alive. You know, it's so funny to me. It's so funny to me that um, some of the reason I've heard people say, I'm not a Christian because that's ah, just too restrictive. 
too many rules, too many things about it that are just feel like archaic rules that I don't want to follow. You're going to serve this instead? You're going to build your life around that? You become a slave to these things? Whew. You talk about restrictive. You know what these things say to you? If you put a false leader at the top of your leaderboard, you know what the word, you know what the phrase that they will say to you? This is what it'll say. A false leader says this, give your life for mine. Give your life for your career. Give your life for money. Give your life for love. You work your tail off. Do everything you can to achieve your appearance. Give your life away and you'll be giving your life away for one of these false leaders. There is one leader who in his day was willing to have his arms and his feet nailed to a cross who went to the cross in order to save us from the essence of sin. He knew that our leaderboards would be messed up when he went to the cross, and he did it anyway. There is one Savior who will look at you and not say, your life for mine. You know what Jesus says in return to you? Jesus says this, it's my life for yours. I'm going to give my life away for your life. You're going to find that offer from anything else on this board? What's your leaderboard? Guys, I want to I take a second. I want to give us a moment, just a, a moment of silence to pray. Maybe you're someone who has never had a moment where you say, Jesus, I want to put you at the top of my leaderboard. I, I want to give us a moment of silence, and maybe you pray that prayer today. Maybe you're somebody who's followed God your whole life, and you're just now maybe recognizing this leaderboard idea is going on every single day, every minute. And you know what the competitor is. Maybe you need a second just to talk to God. God, help make my leaderboard right. Help me know every day when achievement is trying to take the top slot away and rob you of where you're supposed to be and really rob me of the life I'm supposed to live. So I want to pray. And I want to ask you to talk to God during this time. And let's see what he says, okay? God, we ask you and thank you. We thank you for those words of Jesus in Luke 14 and what they really mean. And God, we pray that uh, today that you would help us to um, talk to you, to listen to you, to be honest and self-aware about what is really going on in our hearts and who we are elevating or what we are elevating to the top spot. And I pray, God, right now as we just have this moment of silence, that you would speak to us and that we would speak to you.